Hey, good morning, everyone. Thank you for being here today, and thank you for watching online. Before we get started, you could do us a huge favor. We ask everyone who comes every week, hey, Brent, to check in online. So make sure you take out a phone and scan this QR code. It helps us to follow the safety regulations and guidelines from the city of Boston. So whether you're online or in person, please sign up, and then that will also open up some next steps to you today to follow along with the service. It's gonna be a great service today. We're, we're starting a new series called Don't Waste Your Work because work has changed for everyone and we need some godly wisdom on that. And then also you'll hear about this a little bit more later, but next week we are not gonna be here. This is our very last time in Boston Common. We are moving to the Back Bay Hilton, which is where we used to meet. And we've, got, we've been working hard to make that a safe and fun environment for you. So you'll hear a little bit more about that later. But first we're gonna to worship together. So I'm gonna to hand it off to Josh. Morning, everybody. Excited to see y'all here again and have another chance to worship with y'all out in the comments. Alright, let's get to it.
against Natchez Bay. Oh. 
Good morning, everybody. I'm Jared Kirk, pastor of Renewal Church. Before I dig into the message today, I wanted to share you just, share with you just a little bit about that marriage seminar. It's actually really not a seminar at all. It's a guided conversation. It's one hour 
where you get skills and tools to make your relationship better. It's crazy fun. Heather and I lead it together. We've done it a few times. So if you text the word marriage back after you check in, we'll send you the link so that you can get all the details on that. Um, you'll come away having more conversation with each other. Your relationship will move from roommate status, in case you've ever, you know what that's like. You end up just in your pajama pants, just watching Netflix together, to something that's actually re-sparking the romance in your relationship. So I hope you'll join us for that. Today we're starting a new teaching series called uh, Don't Waste Your Work. And when I grew up in South Florida, I, I was in high school and I had spring break every year. Now when, you're, when you live in South Florida, spring break's not the same as when you travel to South Florida. So for me it involved going and finding a beach, finding a palm tree and just laying there and working on my tan for a week straight. I would just lounge, I did absolutely nothing. Now my father has always been a really big believer in hard work and so this killed him in his soul that I was just laying around. So he had to work every day, so he, came, he, he invented this, he came up with a solution to my lounging. On Monday night, one spring break, he showed up with his pickup truck full of rocks. Each rock was about this big. And he said, son, there's a problem with erosion on our canal in the backyard. And so every night when I come home, I'm gonna have you unload these rocks from the back of the truck. And then the next day when I go off to work, you're gonna move these rocks from the front yard down to the back bank and build a retaining wall along the canal to prevent erosion. And so that's what I had to do. Every day I had to get up and haul rocks. It was actually a pretty ingenious solution for ruining my spring break. And you know, you know what the real problem with it is? Canal erosion's not a real thing. It's, complete, it's completely and totally made up. He just wanted to teach me how to work hard as a person. And you know, all of us have those early experiences where we encounter work and we engage with work and it, and it shapes our attitudes and our values on work. I, I, I worked at a veterinarian's office and I worked doing nighttime security work. I worked as an Uber driver and a lifeguard. And I bet you had some of those same experiences where you get that first taste of work. Maybe you had a McJob, maybe you were scooping fries, maybe you still are. And, and those early experiences shape our attitudes on work. But as we get started today, my question that I wanted to pose to you is why do you work? Why do you work? You know, most people work for a couple of different reasons. Number one, let's go with the obvious, working to live. You gotta pay the bills, you gotta eat. You don't wanna always eat ramen, you don't always wanna live with your parents. You know, if your parents are paying for your bills, they're still in control of your life. And so you, you live to work and to pay the bills and a lot of us have jobs and that's the number one driving motivation for why we're working. But there's some other deeper motivations too and, and maybe some of, these, some of these fit you. One of them is to feel successful in life, right? If you have a great job and you're very effective at what you do, you can feel like a success. Let's face it, relationships are hard work but sometimes you move into the space of work and you can be successful, people recognize your achievements and so you feel like a success. Another one, another reason that we work is the, the feeling of security that money gives us. In another state, I used to have a, a man attend my church who was a CEO of a company and he shared with me that he had actually grown up very, very poor. And he told me one time, he said, you know, when you're poor, you think about money much more than when you're rich. Because when you have nothing, the thoughts about money dominate your life because you're always worried about how to, how to pay the bills. And so he, he, he said he, he had kind of made a commitment to himself that when he grew up, he was going to make a lot of money so that he would have security and it wouldn't dominate his life anymore. So sometimes we, we work for the security that money gives us. And here's kind of the fourth reason is sometimes we work for status. You know, 
jobs get certain kinds of jobs can give you a real status a promotion can give you a status some of you may even pick the job or the field that you went into like if you go into medicine because being a doctor comes with a status or being a lawyer comes with a status or getting promoted and becoming the manager or the regional manager or whatever it is comes with status and so when you break it down most of us are working for one or a combination of these four reasons survival success security or status maybe a way to simplify that is to say we're either working to pay the bills or we're working to build up our identity and this is broadly supported by research from the Pew Foundation they did an enormous study on Americans habit uh, attitudes towards and habits towards work and here's what they found 51% of people say that they get a sense of identity from their job so my job helps determine who I am while 47% so basically the other half said my job is just what I do for a living in other words you know I'm paying the bills and the same study said this those at the top of the income scale are the most likely to see their job as part of their identity which makes sense because if you're making a widget on a factory line you don't see that as much of a part of your identity as you do if you have the words doctor in front of your name or the PhD after your name so we're thinking about work together here and the reasons why we work and this is hugely important for all of us number one work has changed for everyone so it's important for us to re-examine what it's really about you know, work for many people has become staring at a screen for hours and hours on end. One of, one of our friends this week had a day where he had 18 different Zoom meetings. And so work can just become absolutely like suck the soul right out of your body and turn your brain into mush. Or maybe you have to go back into a physical location and there's some fear that's associated with that. Or maybe you just have to go right back into retail and pretend like nothing happened and nothing changed. But work has changed for most of us. Another reason we have to get this right is because work makes up a huge part of your life. Like a third of the time that you're awake, you're spending at work with other these with, with people, with coworkers. These are important relationships. But here's here's one of the most important reasons is if you have an unhealthy view of work, you're gonna either tend to overwork so that you can build up your identity and feel better about yourself and feel like a success or feel like you have the security that money brings you, or you will underwork because you hate it and you don't want to be there but either way it could be destructive in your life if you have unhealthy attitudes about work you know we've all seen people who run away from relationships and run to work because in the relationships they never get appreciation or recognition or feel like a success but they get that at work and so they overwork and overwork and overwork and meanwhile their relationships in their personal life crumble and die so I know and I know and I believe and I hope that you do too there is a better way to view work you know, I really believe this, that if you do your work for the Lord, that if you do your work for God and you expect a reward from God in the end, it will protect you. It will protect you from overworking to prove yourself. It will protect you from underworking just to enjoy yourself. When you are working for the Lord, money doesn't control your life. And your self-worth is no longer wrapped up in your net worth and now you're free to give generously. Your work is also a huge part of the impact that you have on this world. Our church exists to develop urban professionals to impact global cities for Christ. That's what gets us up every morning and motivates us to do the work that we do to help equip you to make an impact. And the work you do is a huge part of the impact God wants you to make in this city or wherever you go in the world when your time in Boston is done. Your work is a part of an influence and an impact that God wants you to have, but only if you yield it to him will you have the impact that he wants you to have so that's why we're opening our Bibles today looking in the book of Colossians chapter 3 
because God's Word has this incredible teaching about work, and it's a wonderful reminder about the purpose of your work that can help get you out of bed and work in a different way every day. We're starting, as I said, this new teaching series called Don't Waste Your Work, because it's easy to slip into getting security or self-worth from your work, but work was never designed to give you those things. Only God can give you those things. So let's look at Colossians together, and we'll look at, well, let's read it, and then we'll talk about what it means afterwards. Here's Colossians 3, starting in verse 23. It says, Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart, as though you're working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. So that's it. It's a short little passage. But in this little passage about work, we find these three decisions that you can make, that I can make, in order to yield our work to God and have the impact and the purpose in our work that God has for us. So here's the three decisions about our work that we get from this text. Number one, I can decide who I'm working for. The text here says, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. In other words, your boss may have asked you to do a task or a job, but you can choose to do it as though Jesus had asked you to do it himself. And it's not just a mental trick to get yourself to do it. God actually accepts that as a form of worship. God loves when you do your work for him. And I mean, this is a crazy, this is just a beautiful teaching from the Bible that you could be going about your ordinary average day. You can be filling out spreadsheets, changing diapers, scooping fries, emailing a coworker, or going on your 12th Zoom call, and you can decide, Lord, I am doing this as though you had asked me to do it, and say, God, I'm not feeling it. I'd rather be on social media. I'd rather be looking at Zillow. I'd rather just browse for a while online, but I am offering this thing to you, this action to you, as part of a lifestyle of worship. That's what Romans 12, one through two speaks about. It says, therefore I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And I love that, right? The, the idea of worship here is it's not just when you sing songs or when you hear, from, hear someone talk from the Bible or about the Bible. Worship is everything you do with your body. Literally everything you do, you can offer it to the Lord and say, God, this is in your hands. You don't have to be doing Christian things to be worshiping. Uh, Martin Luther, who was the famous reformer, I think in the last service I made a, I slipped up and said he was the famous revolutionary. <laughs> he said this, the Christian shoemaker does his duty not by putting little crosses on the shoes, but by making good shoes because God is interested in good craftsmanship. So Christian work is not sneaking John 3.16 into your email signature. It's offering every task to the Lord, and that transforms your work into worship every day. When you decide, I'm doing my work for the Lord, it is, it is just incredibly freeing because you're working for someone who loves you, who created you to do good things, who created you to work hard. When you work for the Lord, you're no longer a slave to money. Your net worth doesn't determine your self-worth. When you work for the Lord, the, your work doesn't, no longer tells you whether you're a success or not. Because success, when you know God, is knowing and doing the will of God. That's success. And your work can just be work that you offer to Him. And so the first thing you have to do is, I, you know, I've got to decide who I'm working for. But here's the second decision to make. I have to decide to work diligently. 
And this follows logically from the first one. You know, if I'm not working for my boss, I'm working for Jesus, I'm offering it to the Lord, then that means I have to work with diligence. The passage that we are studying today was written to Roman slaves in the first century. And in the first century, when this was written, slavery was practiced in virtually every society and culture that we know of. Roman slavery was different than American slavery that we learned about in history class in a few ways. It was not race-based. People would become slaves in Roman society by being taken as prisoners of war. Uh, they would often sell themselves into slavery to pay off their debts. Or, many times, newborn infants, instead of being aborted, they would be exposed, which means their family would just leave them out on the side of the road. And then wealthy families would often pick up these infants on the side of the road and bring them into their household as slaves. Slaves were indistinguishable from regular citizens in daily life uh, because it was not race-based and because they didn't wear any special clothing, it was hard to tell who they were. They were also able to make some money on the side and often purchase their freedom. But the one defining characteristic of all slavery and the one part which makes it an evil and abomination in God's sight is that you are not free to alienate your labor for compensation. You work but you don't get the fruits of your work, it goes to someone else. And really, that's the part that... So, so the attitude to work for slaves was, why should I work for you? Why would you work when you don't have to? You work when someone's eye is on you, when they're watching you, you work so that you don't get beat, and that's it. And so what's happening here is the Bible is giving dignity to all work regardless of how evil the people around you are, regardless of how unjust your situation is, no one can steal from you the fact that your work could be offered to the Lord. And so the Bible's presenting the idea that even in the most extreme circumstances, you can work diligently at all times and offer that to God as, as worship. And he sees you and he knows you and he rewards you. So when we bring that into our situation, we understand we don't work for a paycheck. We don't work for a boss. We don't work so that we just don't get in trouble or for status. We work diligently because we're working for the Lord and he's the one who repays. Ecclesiastes 9.10 says this same thing in a different way. It says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all of your might. So that's the second decision I make about my work. I decide to work diligently. And here's the third one and final one. I have to decide to work with eternity in mind. The text today ends by giving the reasoning why any thinking person should work hard regardless of whether they're being recognized. It says, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord. So according to the scripture, you have an inheritance coming and God is the one who will reward you when you work in his name. So when you keep eternity in mind, it allows you to work diligently today. And Jesus says, even the smallest things that you do impact your eternity. Jesus once said, uh, Mark 9:41. he said, truly I tell you, Anyone who gives a cup of cold water in my name because you belong to the Messiah will certainly not lose their reward. And so if that, if that logic applies to a cup of cold water, how much more the work you do day in and day out that you offer to the Lord? And when you work with eternity in mind, it, it totally changes your perspective on your job each day. Because eternity helps you to remember that in a hundred years, your company probably won't exist. In a thousand years, this country probably won't exist. But in 10,000 years, your coworkers will still exist. They are, 
important and valuable and eternal people who matter to God and therefore they matter to us. It really puts your work in perspective and allows you to bring a bigger purpose to your, to your work. And you know, at the end of your life, you'll have to give an account of your life to God. And he's essentially gonna ask you two questions. The first question is this, what, what did you do with my son, Jesus Christ? And that's the salvation question. That's the question about where you spend eternity. But the second question is, what did you do with the gifts and abilities that I gave to you? And that's the question that determines your rewards and responsibilities in the next life. Now you may be listening to this today and realize that you've been working for all the wrong reasons. You know, for status, to feel like a success, to feel, to get a sense of security from money. You've been asking your job to give you things that only your creator can give you. And you are exhausted because you've been working so hard and you've actually realized something. That life without God starts to feel like hell long before you die and have to worry about the real thing. You're, you, you, that sense in your soul that you're being crushed by your work is leading you to know that you need a relationship with your creator. That you need your sins forgiven. That you need to have a personal relationship with God. You need to know that heaven is your home. And that God can come into your life and give you the strength to work in a different way. That he can bring purpose into the everyday things that you do. Well, in just a few minutes at the end of the message today, I'm going to pray. Pray a prayer asking Jesus to be the forgiver of my sins and the leader of my life. And maybe today is the day for you to make that prayer, your prayer, and start a relationship with, with God through his son, Jesus Christ. Now, we're going to pray that prayer in a little while today. But first, I want to talk about when you leave here today... And when you, go to, when you go to work tomorrow morning, some of you may have to work tonight, here's what I want you to leave with. I wanna challenge you, very simply, to work hard in Jesus' name. That, that's the whole thrust of this text here today, is that you work hard in Jesus' name. And so let's talk about those two things. What does it mean to work hard diligently, and what does it mean to do it in Jesus' name? So first, let's look at diligently from a biblical perspective. The Bible gives us a proverb, it's a word picture to help us understand diligent work. And let me share it with you. It's in Proverbs 24. It says, I went past the field of a sluggard, which is a great word, isn't it? A sluggard perfectly describes that person who's lounging. It was basically me on spring break. It says, I went past the field of a sluggard, past the vineyard of someone who has no sense. Thorns had come up everywhere. The ground was covered with weeds and the stone wall was in ruin. So you get the picture. You see this man who owns a vineyard but it's in disrepair. No one's been mowing the grass. No one's been weeding. There's thorns everywhere. The wall's broken down. He said, I applied my heart to what I observed and learned a lesson from what I saw. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. The man in the proverb you see here isn't resting for just one day. He has ignored the vineyard every day and each day he says i'll deal with it tomorrow until all of a sudden it's in disrepair he hasn't cut the grass and so when he goes to collect his harvest it's either going to be choked out or it's going to be stolen and the whole point of this parable is that it's really easy to judge the man in the parable how could you let your vineyard fall into disrepair but the question of the parable for you and for me is what area of your life is like the vineyard what have you failed to tend to daily so that it has fallen into disrepair? Does your marriage need tending? Have you let the weeds come up in your finances? 
maybe your physical living space is like a crumbling wall. Now I'm preaching to my college self. What in your life has become the vineyard that requires diligent work? Maybe you write that down. Maybe share that with a friend or somebody that you came with today over lunch later. What in your life has become the, the vineyard that needs diligent work? And the great thing is, you know, a lot of times we avoid those things because they're painful or because they're embarrassing or because they're complicated. But I find that the moment we turn to face them and ask God for help, he gives us the strength we need to work diligently. So I want to encourage you in that. But the second part of that was to work hard in Jesus name. Now, work hard makes a lot of sense. That's easy. But how on earth do you do your work in Jesus name? And I want and I think there's some obvious things, you know. Uh, it means not stealing or cheating. It means pay paying fair wages. It means doing your work with integrity. But on a practical day-to-day -day basis, there's some, there was a practice that was given to me years ago. I just found it so helpful for myself, and I wanted to share it with you. And here's what it is. It's very simple. You know, each day when you work, you probably look at your calendar before you work. And so you look at all the meetings you have coming up. What do I have here? So I want to challenge you. For the next five days, the next five working days, Monday through Friday, when you pull up your calendar to look through your workday, I want to encourage you to pray through your calendar. And when you have a meeting on the calendar, pray for that person you're going to be in the meeting with. God, how do you want me to care for this person as a person? God, here's a problem I'm facing in my work. Would you help me face it? God, here's anxiety or tension or confusing I'm dealing with. Would you help me know what to do? Would you give me wisdom? God, would you help me to love these people well? And maybe most importantly of all, it's just the posture of that prayer saying, God, this day, these meetings, these people, I put it all in your hands. I want to do it your way, and I want to do it for you. And I feel like if you try that for five days, it will help change the way you work and offer it to the Lord. Seas of work. But because you've been trying to get something from work that you can only get from your creator, You've been trying to get that sense of security from your work or status from your paycheck or success from your position. And you've been serving this job as a master, trying to tell you that you are worthwhile, that you are successful, that you've achieved, that you are worth something. No wonder you are overworking. No wonder you're exhausted. But when you come to Jesus, there's still going to be work to do. You're still going to have hard work to do. It will still be difficult, but now you will be serving a master who gives you security and status and self-worth for free. <laughs> he died for you to make sure you have everything you need. Your, jo your job's not going to die for your sins, but Jesus did. And that's why Jesus said in Matthew 11, he said this. He said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, a yoke is what they would put up across the back of the oxen so that they could work hard. But that's the beauty and the paradox of following Jesus. He says, when you come to me, of course there's always work to do. But I put my yoke on you the same way we put helium in a balloon. It lightens the load off of your shoulders. When you follow Jesus, no longer will you be working to prove yourself. Instead, you will be serving a master who died to love you. And that's what makes the burden light.
So I mentioned today I was going to pray for you. So if you would join me, please bow your head and close your eyes at this time. And if you, if God's been stirring something in your soul, knowing that you need purpose in your life, you need purpose in your work, but also that you need that relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, I'm going to pray now a prayer inviting God to be the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life. And maybe you can pray this prayer silently along with me and make it your own. God, I know that I need you in my life and in my work. I need purpose in my everyday world, but I can't do it on my own. I need Jesus. I recognize that I'm a sinner, and I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I also believe that Jesus rose from the dead, and I want to follow him. I want him to be the leader of my life. Would you come into my life and save me? Give me your personal presence, your spirit, to give me the strength I need to work hard for you. And would you give me the purpose that comes from living with an eternal perspective and following you every day? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, listen, if you prayed that prayer today to start a relationship with God, your next step is to plunge your past and be baptized. And our church is here to help you with that. We help people get baptized all throughout the year. So you can text the word baptism back after you check in, and I'll send you an email, and we can start that conversation, send you a little bit of information. Hey, I'm looking forward to seeing some of you on the, the marriage conversation later tonight. I'm also looking forward to not seeing you here next week because we're going to be at the Hilton at the Change Service Times. As always, you can get all the information you need at RenewalChurchBoston.com. To end the service, I'm going to pass it back to Judith now. Thank you so much for joining us. And if you have not, if you have not done so at this time, both online and in person, please check into the service. At this time, we're going to give together now. And as we give together now, I just wanna thank those who have set up the repeating gifts. You have put your faith and your trust in our church and we've been able to bless others in the area such as providing school supplies and also being able to baptize so, much, so many more people this year. Again, the, the marriage re, um, conference or seminar is tonight at 7.30 and we hope to see you there. And I will hopefully see you next week at the Hilton at either 10 or 11.30. Have a great week, everyone. Bye. Bye.